welcome to podcast number two for bikes, burpees, and backhands. This is your host, Dave Matthews. This is our special edition, Aussie Open edition of the podcast, getting your uh, opinions and outlook on the rest of the Australian Open down under. I have to let everybody know, and those of you who watch the Australian Open, a lot of us will tape it or, or um, get it somehow during the day. Sometimes the networks will replay matches later in the afternoon here. I'm in the Eastern time zone, but uh, they, us, a lot of us tennis enthusiasts this time of year go somewhat sleep deprived. I love to cycle in the early morning, so sometimes I'm watching part of a match at five o'clock while I'm getting my cycling gear on and I'll go out and cycle for an hour, hour and a half with my group and come back in. And if it's a men's match, I'll sometimes if they split or go four or five sets, I'll come back in from my bike ride and catch the tail end of that. And that's kind of, kind of fun to me. But after two long weeks of good matches and men's and women's uh, matches going on, there's uh, there's some sleep deprivation that goes on. I know it caught me by surprise this morning when I slept through my alarm clock. I made it to work on time, but uh, my bike ride had to take a back seat for this morning. I'll make sure I get it in tomorrow. Anyway, we are down to the uh, men's semifinals and women's semifinals. Uh, three or four of those matches will be played later on tonight, actually getting played as I'm taping this podcast the men will play uh, Novak Djokovic playing Lucas Pouli from France. And in the bottom half, S- Stefano Sissipas is playing Rafael Nadal. Uh, the women's side, there's uh, Pliskova is playing Osaka. And in the bottom half is Kvitova versus Collins. Well, like for anybody who wants to, when I post this podcast, you can go on to our podcast either on Instagram or uh, Podbean or iTunes. You can make comments. You can always, uh, I'll make sure you get the email for our show. Uh, make sure you make some comments. Uh, first on the big conversation list is one thing that I've noticed at this Grand Slam starting, I guess, 2019. The men are going to play I know at the Australian Open at six all in the fifth set, instead of playing it out like we have been for decades, the men at six all in the fifth set will play a tiebreaker and it will be a 10 point, what we call here in the States, a match tiebreak, but it's a 10 point tiebreaker. Instead of going to seven, it goes to 10. And if some of you want to comment on that, uh, my opinion is that I like, I like, I'm a historian. I love, you know, keeping the history of the game in it. Uh, we'll wait to be seen. I think I heard they were talking about rule changes. I think I heard, did hear them say that Wimbledon this year, they will not play a tiebreaker until I thought I heard them say 12 all in the fifth set. Uh, I'll make sure I double check that before I uh, get some feedback on this podcast. But um, that is... The new rule on the women's side, I don't know if they're playing a 7 or a 10 if they split sets and go to the uh, 
you know, into the third set, if they get to six all, I don't know if they're playing. I would assume they're playing a 10-point tiebreaker. But uh, that is interesting. Uh, definitely uh, a good update. I think I, I kind of like it. Even with a, uh, you know, a tiebreaker is one thing to seven because a couple of a net cord, uh, a shank ball that falls in that catches you by surprise. Yeah, you're in a tiebreaker. You shouldn't be caught by surprise. But uh, from the men's perspective, You've been out there, some of them, I've seen some of these matches, it uh, looks like a lot of them are, you know, pretty pretty disciplined, the, the rallies, some of them are good, long, 20-ball, 30-ball rallies, but that's not all the time, that's becoming, I don't want to say rare, but it's, the points are getting a little shorter, the, the, the guys are taking their first or first opportunity to attack, and then from there, they're attacking the ball. They're going after it. They're trying to make something happen. And uh, they're very getting very disciplined in what they're doing. Uh, from the women's side, it's pretty much the same thing. There's no no let off there. Uh, so I think with a 10-point tiebreaker, I think that is a, a fairer way to go so that a couple of mishits or a let quarter falls over uh, it's not going to. And, and a seven-point tiebreaker, a couple of those, and, you know, you throw in an unforced error, and you you could be pretty much sunk. Um, you know, kiss that tiebreaker goodbye, not only that, in the match. So I think a ten-point tiebreaker at six-all is a pretty good, reasonable answer. Uh, make sure you go on and make comments in the podcast where I um, put them on, on the multimedia, and also you can always email us, and I'll make sure you get that email here in a few seconds at one of our commercial breaks. Um, as far as Djokovic and Poulet playing, uh, Lucas played a good match uh, against Rayonich. Um, Miloslav looked like he was serving pretty big, but uh, Poulet is, is not a newcomer. I mean, he's younger, but he, he's got some good hands. Uh, had a good game plan when he went out there, tried to get Rayonich into a long rallies, and that seemed to work in his favor. And uh, the third set was a lot closer. It was a tiebreaker, but uh, Poulet wound up bringing it, bringing it home and closing out that match, and that's uh, a good credit to that young man. He's a good player. Same side, on the other side of the draw, you got Stefano Sissipas, who is, is a newcomer uh, in that younger next-gen generation of players, but he is not unknown. Federer knows him. Uh, he beat Nadal last year in one of the Grand Slams, so he's not a new, uh, necessarily a newcomer. They, they people know he's got game. Um, it's going to be some, it could be some interesting uh, semifinal matches. On the other hand, to flip that coin over, what I have found in watching my career uh, of playing tennis when you get these younger players coming up and most of the year you're you're going to these events some of them like the Miami Open and so on and so forth might be 10 day to you know 10 11 day tournaments they start like on a Wednesday or Thursday and they go all the way for 10 days to the next Sunday you get a couple of days in there where you don't have to play back to back days but you're also only playing two out of three sets. And then, so, you know, you might get a day or two off in that eight-day tournament, eight- or nine-day tournament, maybe ten at the most. 
And so you get that, and that kind of gets all the players on an even keel to where you get from like quarter semis, finals, you're playing the same schedule or pretty close to it, same amount of rest, and that all becomes a real game within the game. It's almost like a pit stop at a NASCAR event. Well, what I found by watching is that you get these younger players who are more primed for the two out of three set venues, and they get in these grand slams, and they they expect and they want to get to the second week, and some of them do, some of them don't. Some of that's dictated by your draw, by the how strenuous your first and second round matches are. If you happen to go in a five-set match early in a Grand Slam tournament, by the time you get third, fourth round, it is catching up to you because it is a it's an endurance, high energy output, endurance, mentally and physically event. When you get to that, like these players, these two players, Sitsipas and Poulet, are at the end of their two-week period. Here we are coming down. They'll be playing one of them later tonight. Uh, yeah, I think um, I think Poulet just played last. I, I, I'll get the schedule. I'll check my phone here in a minute. But anyway, they'll come down to the end of the two weeks, and literally, you're going to be starting to tap your energy resource physically and mentally, and either one of those go off the cuff, and somebody like a, a Nadal or Djokovic, who is trains year-round for these three out of five set, seven match to win tournaments, that starts showing up. They are mentally and physically prepared. They prepare for these the rest of the year. If you happen to beat them, it's because it's a two out of three, I call it a sprint fest, where you get a couple of good breaks. He plays a little bit of a sloppy point or two, and all of a sudden, you're, you got to win. Well, they don't, they don't like it, but they also don't mind in those smaller events you know, the series 1,500 events, they don't mind it because that kind of gives them a little extra time to go and rehab their injuries, uh, take some time off, uh, catch up, you know, let their body recuperate a little bit. So it'll be interesting to watch these two semifinals uh, because, like I said, the in the men's field, their their event is different. It is totally different than the women's. Women's play two out of three all year long. Um, that's just the way it is. I didn't say whether I like it or don't like it. Uh, that's just the way it is. And the men, it's a different game. It's a different mentality. Uh, it's a different expectation to get your mentality and physical presence up to that standard to win those Grand Slams. So that will be interesting in the men's side to watch that one, the semifinals and the finals. Um, first big question on the list is, is this coming to an end of an era where you have players like Roger Federer, Serena, Venus, I know um, uh, Andy Murray, uh, he's got that injury, I think he's taken off. He's thinking he was trying to take off after Wimbledon, but uh, it will be interesting to see how his hip responds he had a tough five set first first round at the Australian Open 
and he, you know, he's doing a little limping there. Uh, a hip injury is not something to play with. So it will be interesting to watch to see uh, how Nadal is not far behind. I think I think Rafa is around 33-ish. I think Djokovic is maybe a year younger, so he's around that 31, 32. Uh, they're all knocking on the door of Rogers 20, but uh, it, it's it's going to get tough as these next generation of players. And there's a lot of other 27, 28-year-olds still out there that got some pretty good games. So it will be interesting to see in the men's and women's side is if this is you know, not maybe not right now, but maybe if this year progresses, do some of them uh, step up another level if they can physically and mentally? Your body, as you get older, your body necessarily can do a lot of the same things it did when it was 20. It just doesn't recover as fast. And when you're talking, especially in the men's field, about the three out of five sets, it takes... Uh, you know, when you have a day off and you're going to hit for a you know, 45 minute segment in that day off and then you're coming back to play the next day, another three out of five set match, it could take a it could take a couple of rounds. And that means you've got to bear down if the draw allows you, if you draw somebody pretty strong, you may not get a chance to let down to cruise through a win to kind of let your body recuperate and have a shorter day on court. Uh, that just, it, you know, the draws are... They're pretty vicious. I mean, like I said, Andy Murray, well, he was on his comeback trail. He he got a tough first-round match, and um, it didn't bode well. And he walked out of there on a little bit of a slight limp, and that's just the way that works. The draws are not always favorable to you. So uh, let me take a quick timeout, and I'll be right back in just a few seconds. If you're looking for ways to help Bike Friendly Atlanta's cause, you can use your Kroger Rewards Plus card, go to the Community Rewards online, and choose Bike Friendly ATL. You can also use smile.amazon.com every time you order through Amazon, and a small portion of all your grocery and online purchases will come back to Bike Friendly Atlanta, where 100% of your donations goes to the cause. You can also go straight to Bike Friendly ATL, Inc. on Facebook and BikeFriendlyATL.org and click on the donation, button, donation buttons and proceed from there. We appreciate your interest and donations and hope to get our streets safer in our fallen friend's honor very soon. Back again. Next topic that I am pretty emphatic about, I guess part of it is drawn from my history of playing tennis and cycling and uh, mental side of the game, which I teach to every one of my students. Uh, you, you, there's only two ways to be. You're either in control or you're out of control. And even if you're losing, if you're in control and you don't let your opponents know it, that gives them nothing to feed off of. That gives them zero to draw energy from. And if they let down just slightly, the door's open. And if you seize that door being open just a little bit, put your little crowbar in there, put a little elbow grease on it, you never know. You might 
snatch a win from somebody years down the road, that seems like, you know, that that will seem like one of your best matches of all time. Because sometimes, matter of fact, in my career, I don't remember, yeah, I kind of do, but I don't remember the matches, you know, if it was a two-set match and I beat somebody pretty bad and, uh, you know, I served four, five, six times in a total of two sets. But I wound up hitting, you know, some number like 15, 18 aces in a two-set quick match. I don't remember those matches. I remember the matches when my first serve wasn't working. I had to resolve to a kick serve or a slice serve or a body serve and back it up with a good volley. And all of a sudden, they're getting all over the return and it's at my feet and I'm hitting half volley drop shots or making stretch volleys or, you know, they're throwing up this topspin lob and I'm screaming back, hitting overheads off my back foot in the middle of no man's land. Those are the matches that I can call on. Uh, remember one distinct one that I was playing doubles with my partner, Paul Gross, down in uh, Columbus, Georgia, in a Southern Senior Cup, I believe it was. And we were playing, I think, a team from Alabama and me and Paul walked out there, and we were um, playing really good. And it just seemed like every time we would get, uh, got through the first set, and, um, excuse me one second. Every time we would hit a good shot, a good serve, or a good return, they had a better shot, and we wound up losing the first set. I think it was 6-2, and, you know, as customary, we walked back in between sets and chat about it, and I just looked at him, and I said, I don't know if I can play any better. I mean, we're both hammering the ball when we get the chance. We're not double faulting. We're not missing just outright two and three returns in a row. We're playing some solid tennis. I said, all we can do is just keep the level up as best we can, and if they slip... We got to be ready to move in. Well, we happened to move in. They missed a few shots and, you know, a couple of lucky little breaks. Net cord falls over or something. And all of a sudden, we win the second set 7-5. And I looked at him and I said, we cannot let down one inch. We have to play like we're behind and just keep bearing it. Well, we got on a run and all of a sudden we're up 5-2 in the third set. And we switched sides and walked over and... Paul was serving, and he says, all right, this is over. And I looked at him, and I said, don't you say that. Don't you dare say that right now until we're shaking hands. We're behind. And by gosh, we lost serve. They held serve, and I walked over, and we switched sides again. I'm serving 5-4, and he looked at me. He goes, what do you think? I said, I need you to go to the net and be ready for every mishit return, every chunk, lob, it don't matter. You be ready for any and everything you don't think is possible. And I'm going to do my best to end this right here. And I went back and we, I hammered some serves and he put a couple balls away and we wound up winning. But that was the match that I remember probably over right up there with another five or six or seven matches that we happened to be playing good because the other team just played better. And you have to be real with your assessment of what you're doing. 
if you're losing, you know, 6-2, 6-3, and you're playing lights-out tennis, and these other guys are just pulling shot after shot after you have to trust that that can't happen. And if you're playing at a level that you think is you can sustain, you got no reason to change. There's no reason to change that. Stay there and just trust that if it ain't your day, it ain't going to be your day anyway. But to hold that up for two sets or even three, it's tough for anybody to do it. So we were very real in our assessment of what we were doing. We didn't get it all been out of shape. You know, these guys are lucky and a mouth and all. No, 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 none of that. We assessed our play as being good and solid. We can keep this up, maybe raise it a, a small notch, but not really without getting risky. And we wound up winning. And that worked out that day. But being in control of our emotions and not letting our ego get in the way of what we thought we could accomplish and do and execute was very key to our sustaining that level of play. And when they missed a few balls, this, this, and this, we didn't have to turn it up another notch. We stayed right where we were and stayed the course. And that is a, a monumental accomplishment is when you know you can, you have the chance to let your ego jump in the way, but you don't. And you keep it in, under control. You come out a lot better, a lot further ahead. And you have the chance of coming back. Otherwise, your ego will make you ride the roller coaster of up and down tennis. And that will never let you come back. So that being as it may, remember, uh, and that segment is going to be a segue into the next little segment. Hang on, be right back. You can now subscribe to our podcast on the iTunes Podcast Network under bikes hyphen burpees hyphen backhands, all on the iTunes Network. Next segment, real quick one is, I saw, it, it did, sometimes you don't see what, what is there. In other words, you see these stories, uh, and it, it doesn't upset me. It, it, it mystifies me that what our media does from both sides uh, of the aisle, you take a story, it'll come in. I think the latest one I saw was about the kid wearing the red hat, crossing something up there with a Native American. And, and, and I don't want to get into all that. That's, that's not the point. The point is you can take the media and you can watch one channel and they show it from one side. And then you watch another channel and they show it from the other side. And there's no common ground there. There's no... Uh, factual stuff. Yeah, there's some facts there. And then, you know, the facts that you learn that happened three minutes before where they started telling the story from one side and then, the, you know, the other side tells it from a different, you know, timeline. Well, that's not what news is about. News is an honest thing that here's the facts. Make sure the facts are the facts. Don't dramatize them. And then let the readers or the listeners form their opinion. And that's a good thing. Uh, I have seen a lot in this tournament. Uh, haven't been watching. Oh, I've been watching quite a bit, a lot more than people think. Uh, that's why my sleep deprivation is on a high note. But I was watching some of the matches earlier this week, like Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, and saw one match where a young man was out there, and I can't remember if he lost the first set or not, and. Right toward the end of the set, he 
gotten a little, his feelings gotten a little tizzy there, and all of a sudden, I see him bounce his racket off the ground a couple of times, and I don't want to say that's legal or not, or okay or not. I wouldn't do it. My rackets cost me too much. Even if you're sponsored by Wilson or Prince or you know Head or somebody, I don't care. You know, you earned them. You put the work in to get the game to have them give them to you. They work free. Put a lot of sweat and hard time into it. Travel expenses eat that up in a heartbeat. So don't tell me about, oh, you get them free. Yeah, right. Don't use that word too too uh, loosely. But to bounce your racket is showing your opponent that they got a little edge on you. And that, I get it. I get it. You know, in the long two out of, three out of five set matches at the Australian Open for the guys, well, he turns around and he winds up, I think he lost that set which is a couple games later, and he walks over and he sits down on the bench and he takes that same racket. And the umpire has not even given him the time of day yet. Like, oh, this is normal. And I would have been like abusive, you know, code code of conduct, warning, uh, racket abuse. And then the next one, you're getting a point so that you start that paper trail. You start that acknowledgement that what you're doing is not right. Well, sure enough, he goes over to the uh, bench and sits down if he loses the set, and what do you think happens? He's out of control. He just finished losing the set, and he got to let it go. Well, he did. He smashed that racket. It was so, I hate to say funny, but one of the commentators said, I was trying to figure out which, you know, he had a, a, a natural gut, um, polyester blend, which for a lot of you, that's a 50-50. One string is natural gut, the other string. Uh, usually, well, I mean, most most of the players put the natural gut in the crosses, and the main, the main is polyester. But some of the pros do it the opposite of that. And the commentator said, I was trying to figure out, I know he had a 50-50 blend, but I was trying to figure out which string was the gut, but I couldn't tell it because the racket was so disfigured, I couldn't even hardly tell it was a tennis racket anymore. And they kind of chuckled at it. Well, when they came back from the break, the set break, they started, you know, they walk out on the court and they said that the umpire had given him a warning for a code of conduct. And I looked at my, me and my wife looked at each other and I was like, I think they missed the code of conduct warning. That was back there where he bounced that racket like three times on the ground. Luckily, he didn't break, but that should have been a point, and so on and so on. If you're going to curb these things, this this mentality of I can crush my racket, and you think our kids are going to be nice, upstanding young men and women playing tennis, a gentleman's game, quote, gentleman's game, then you have to give the warnings early and often enough to where they start adding up to points. And until you start doing that, there's no penalty. So what do you think the problem is? Well, the problem is we don't want to step on that kind of stuff and curb it so that it is, you know, something they should not do. I'll be right back. I apologize. My, uh, my coworker in here, my rabbit Razzie, was, I think she was chewing on a 
chewing on a um, biscuit over there. So sounds to me like she might have finished that biscuit a little bit. So we'll see if we can. And there she goes again. No, she ain't gonna listen. Anyway, that's not a bad thing. So we have to kind of curb that kind of stuff. It's kind of like driving on our streets, which is the bulk of what I do also, besides my tennis is my nonprofit. Uh, we need to get our roads safer. Well, you got people going 10 miles an hour, 15 miles an hour over every speed limit and running red lights and we don't have enough police officers. We can't do it. We got so many excuses that to stop that is the, the, the nature of the beast. If you can stop people from speeding, and, and driving correctly, make them start driving correctly, all of a sudden fatalities from distracted driving of cars hitting cars, cars hitting bicycles, cars hitting pedestrians, bicycles hitting cars and pedestrians doing the wrong thing, all those start curing themselves because people know they can be caught. Until you catch them and doing it, there's no penalty. And if your penalty is a slap on the back of the hand like some of my fallen friends have you know, gone on and perished, and that's why I'm fighting for our streets to get safer. If the perpetrator is given three years, five years, and they're out in three or five years, guess what? You taught them. There's no penalty. Oh, well, they had to go to prison. The families have a life sentence. Don't talk to me about a three or five year sentence. Probation. Wow. Don't start me. Drinking and driving should not get one offense. If you want to make that idiot decision, you go right ahead. Don't interfere with my life with your decision. If you do, not going to be fun. I don't care how many years you get. So anyway, racket abuse is something that can be stopped, uh, could be minimalized, but the governing bodies have to step up and start doing their job. Please email me your thoughts on all that. That does make... Uh, it does make a big impact. Uh, hope all of you enjoy the uh, rest of this Australian Open. We will here at um, Bikes, Burpees, and Backhands, we will be doing this during all the Grand Slams, also probably during the Tour de France, the um, uh, Paris-Roubaix, a couple of others. We do have one of my... Uh, um, one of the gentlemen that I ride with here in the dedicated area, whose son is, again, we'll give him a shout out here, whose son is on a professional cycling team, um, Mr. Joey Roscoff. He is a two-time defending U.S. time trial champion from Decatur, Georgia here. He lives in Athens. Uh, he has just got through with a tour down under, and uh, he will hopefully be in, barring any injuries and stuff, hopefully be in the tour this year, the Tour de France. Uh, that is in July, and I will definitely be doing some podcast updates uh, from there. So we will do some special podcasts just for you on tennis or cycling or fitness if there's something big that comes up. And get your thoughts on it, please. Remember, you can always go to our email, which is bikes, burpees, backhands at gmail.com and email me, and I'll make sure I give you a good shout out on our podcast. We will be doing some giveaways on Instagram and Facebook in the next two or three days. Got some new bike, bicycling uh, water bottles coming in. Got some t-shirts we're going to be printing up. Uh, some skull caps. A lot of things going on here at Bike Friendly Atlanta trying to get our street safer for our in honor of our fallen friends. Hope you all enjoyed this podcast. I know it was a little shorter than the last one. Uh, and I'll try to keep them short and to the point from now on so you can listen to them while you're in the car or uh, sitting somewhere. 
Hope all of you have a great evening. Watch the rest of this Australian Open as, a, as it unfolds tonight and tomorrow and this weekend. And enjoy life every day. Like I said, hashtag ADIP, another day in paradise. Y'all have a good day. This is Dave Matthews signing off from Bikes, Burpees, and Backhands.